Welcome to Group Talk, a podcast conversation from the Small Group Network, focusing on topics relevant to small groups ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you are a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax and listen to today's program. Hi, welcome to Group Talk. My name is Carolyn Takeda. I'm the Small Groups Pastor at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California. In 2015, LifeWay Research Team found that 86% of congregations in America have one predominant racial group. Today, 50 plus years since Martin Luther King Jr. declared that Sundays at 11 was the most segregated hour in Christian America, it appears that we have made very limited progress. Our churches still tend to be overwhelmingly homogenous, which is in direct contrast with our culture that is increasingly diverse and global. So how do we reflect the heart of God through a church that is inclusive of a variety of ethnic identities? And what are the particular challenges that that brings? Also, what is the blessing for us as Christ followers and as far small groups when we choose to engage in meaningful relationships with people very different from ourselves? And how do we help our group leaders move toward more inclusive communities with people who are racially, ethnically, and socioeconomically different from themselves? So we're going to address these and other issues on today's program focusing on multicultural church and small groups. And we're going to try to provide some next steps for churches that want to move towards a more inclusive body and live the one another's in more culturally integrated groups. This conversation is a bit longer than our usual, and it's going to be about 45 minutes. But I really hope that you'll hang with us, um, and I hope that you will find it helpful for you personally um, and also for your ministry. I know it's not the most comfortable thing to be talking about, but it's such a critical topic for our time. So our guest for this special conversation is Reverend David Miles. David and I met briefly at the Small Group Network Lobby Gathering last year, and we also served together on the advisory board of ChristianityTodaySmallGroups.com. David is the Life Groups and Leaders Development Pastor at New Hope Church in New Hope, Minnesota, which is a suburb near Minneapolis, and he's been in that role several years. And David is passionate about the expository preaching of the Word of God, ministering through the Word, and training leaders. He has a pastor theologian heart. He also teaches at a local seminary, um, and a passion for God's gospel heart through Revelation 7-9, the multi-ethnic church. His church actually expresses this vision so beautifully. They want to be a, quote, Christ-centered community for all peoples, moving toward Jesus and taking others with you. Thank you so much, David, for being with us. Thank you, Carolyn. Good to see you. Yes. So, David, let's start off first by sharing part of your story. I know I know a little piece of it, but did you grow up predominantly in a white church or historically black church or some combination? You know, it was a combination of both, Carolyn. Um, my family, and I'm a native of North, not Carolina, yes, North Dakota. And I'm- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I guess I'm sorry. Right. I shouldn't laugh. It's just as, uh-huh. that's no rare. I know a lot of people are thinking, you know, not a lot of chocolate Norwegians up there. <laughs> yes. So uh, I like lefse with butter and, and uh, brown sugar, but not lutefus. Wow. Can't do that. But my parents were in the military and uh, I got, uh, were stationed in Massachusetts and got transferred to Bitburg, Germany, where my brother was born. And then they were trying actually to get back to the Northeast. Hmm. And our family joke is that Someone crossed off East and put Dakota. <laughs> and so my mom and dad got transferred to North Dakota. They were one of the first African-Americans at that base there. And, uh, you know, 
uh, they stayed there for a while and actually retired. But I would spend my summers in Kentucky and Tennessee with family. And then also in North Dakota, there was chapel, different chapels that were there. So so I kind of had experience in both of it, but I've grown up in a predominantly um, white settings. Um, when my brother left to go to high school, Carolyn, uh, I was in a school of a thousand kids mm-hmm. and I was the only African-American. So yeah. diversity, that was me. <laughs> So, that's so a hard, that's a hard, I was in a high school of about 2000 and I was one of three Asian Americans there. Wow. And so that was hard. So we, sh- we share kind of the, the joys and challenges, mostly challenges yeah. of that environment. What well, tell us a little bit about um, New Hope and the demographics of your current uh, church. Well, New Hope is, uh, as you heard our purpose statement, uh, that we're seeking to be a Christ-centered community for all people, moving towards Jesus, taking others with us and very intentional. We have five strategic uh, values that we have initiatives with that, which is live on purpose, um, life groups, leader development, all peoples, and church planting. We are in the uh, western suburbs of the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, which is called the Twin Cities. Uh, The Twin Cities is a very, very diverse city. Actually, um, it's diverse in multiple ways and in uh, in many of their suburbs. Um, I used to pastor in uh, Brooklyn Park, which is what is now the most diverse city in Minnesota, hmm. um, and then Brooklyn Center, Minneapolis, and St. Paul. Uh, and one of the things is that years ago, in 2007, um, they had did a study. They had found that Brooklyn Park had gone through a 918% change in its non-white population. 918%? Wow. <laughs> yeah. So when people are kind of like, you know, why should we be reaching out to the community around us? I would say, well, if you worked for a group and you had a five or ten percent change in your in your yeah. area, what would your, you know, what would your your boss or even who you were reporting to say? And I said, well, what if it's thirty five percent? I said, what if it's sixty percent? They're kind of like, well, by then I'd be fired. And I'm like, so when you have a nine hundred eighteen percent change, and this is who God has brought to your nation, will, will you address that? And right now for the Twin Cities. Um, and teaching my class even this morning, there's been like a 33% change in the Hispanic population, 16% in the African uh, American population, more people coming, and then I think it was roughly about 14 of Asian. So our area wow. is really diverse, and it's diverse socioeconomically, it's diverse ethnically and culturally, and also um, with language. And so. So it's it's really a neat, incredible place, and and New Hope is kind of a second ring suburb mm-hmm. um, to the west, and uh, it's it's quite a diverse area as well. So um, let me ask you this: I know we read about um, you know white flight from urban areas, or we read about how so many churches um, can't sustain you know historic churches that have been around a long time can't um, keep its doors open because it's just just a change in the demographics, or they can't attract different uh, populations or youth or whatever. Um, what? Uh, what has helped New Hope like adapt? And they are an old church. You guys are an old church. You're a very, yeah. and it was started, I think, back what in 1940s? 46, April 46. Yes. Yeah, so it's gone through some evolution. And for our for our listening audience, so um, this is really neat news uh, to hear. This you see, the church was started when they leafleted 500 uh, areas in Crystal. They used to be in a city west, east of us called Crystal which was more of a first-run uh, suburb. Um, 
and they leafleted. And out of that started a Bible study, a life group mm-hmm. that eventually grew into a multiple thousand uh, person church. And, and so, but again, it was the impact of life groups that really launched that uh, and, and, and what New Hope is today. And so, yes, the church started and then eventually the church grew and then they moved from Crystal then to New Hope. They moved out, but they had been a flagship evangelical free church. And so they really, they kept their name, even though they moved to New Hope from 1977, pretty much to 2004. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and at that point, God laid on the senior pastor at that time, Steve Gould. Uh, he gave him what was eventually a series called High and Holy Calling. Hmm. That God was calling the church. And this actually happened in the church, the free church in Brooklyn Park that I was in, that they felt the Lord saying they weren't supposed to move further out. Interesting. Because oftentimes churches were, right. they'll, they'll, they'll do that, the community changes, and then they're right. like, oh, so God calling us to move further out. Um, and so New Hope actually, Pastor Steve, uh, he prayed about it for a year. Hmm. He then brought it to the elders and said, here's what the Lord's laid on my heart. You're the elders. I, I'll, I'll follow you, and that'll determine whether this is what it's supposed to be or not. But this is what God has laid upon my heart. And so they prayed about it for nine months. They then brought it to the staff, and they said, listen, this is the direction God has called us to reach our community around us to reflect the community. Right. And they uh, they laid that out for the staff, and they said, if you feel that that doesn't fit your vision and what it is, then we can help you find wow. a place in the body of Christ. Wow. Then they got up, and Steve gave the first of two messages on the high and holy calling. And from the first Sunday to the next Sunday, 900 people left the church. Wow. Okay, how big was the church? What percentage is 900 people? Uh, I would say the church, I'm trying to think back then if it was more like half, two, four or 5,000 or. Okay. So they years. lost like 20%. Yeah. You know, so, but they lost, yeah, they lost a significant. That's you know, courageous though, to call people to a biblical vision that was spirit led and then say, Hey, you're either in or out. Like that's really gutsy. Yeah. And, and it was one of those things that they cast vision and just said, this is the direction. They wanted people to stay. But on this journey, people are going to, you know, they're going to stay, they're going to go. Uh, And so it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's an incredible journey. And as we'll talk about there, there's a lot to it. Right. There's beauties. And then there's also some, there's some hard things. And so let's let's start there. Um, obviously, I love. Thanks for sharing that history. So clearly, this for New Hope was birth. This commitment to a multicultural, all people church was birthed out of a biblical understanding of what God was calling um, the church to. You want to speak briefly about that? Yeah, I mean, like here's one of the the big misconceptions that you know we start to talk about being all peoples or even reaching out. And people sometimes, they'll start to say, oh my goodness, this is like some left-wing liberal, <laughs> you know, there's some sort of Marxism thing. And it's like, uh, no, it's profoundly biblical and it's at the heart. We often talk about the Great Commission or sure. the Great Co-Mission. And what is it? All authority is given to Jesus on heaven and earth. And he says, go therefore and make disciples, pasta ethne, of all the nations, the word from which we get the word ethnicity. And so that it's at the heart of it. It's at the heart of Acts 1-8. You know? right. And so throughout Scripture, 
um, you see this incredible picture. You see that Jesus prays about it in John 17, mm-hmm. that the world would know that we're one uh, by the love that we have for one another. Actually, the very first gospel that's written is Mark. And Jesus shows his heart when he says, quoting uh, Isaiah, so in a real place, the temple, or right, temple, right. a real Jesus quotes a real previous passage <laughs> of scripture that says, is it not written, perfect tense, past action with ongoing result, that my house would be called a house of prayer for all the nation. Right. And I have to understand that, Carolyn, you and I having this conversation is the answer prayer of Jesus in John 17. And, and the other thing that people tend to forget is that we, we's, to mm-hmm. use improper language, <laughs> grammar, we's are the Gentiles. Sure. You know, all of us are Gentiles that God has folded us in, and folded us into it. So, so often explaining to people, as, as Paul does in Ephesians, that God took Jews and Gentiles and made them into one new creation. And the word that's used for creation or to create is the same word used in the Septuagint in 2.7, that God made a brand new humanity and made one man, and that this displays the excuse me, displays the wisdom of God. Right. And I think, what about um, people who think, you know, it's, it's okay if we reflect our, um, the demographics around us. Say you're in a, in a suburb that is predominantly Caucasian. And so the church is kind of, is pretty much that. And they feel like, well, we don't have to really do a whole lot to become multi-ethnic because we're reflecting the percentage breakdowns of our uh, particular demographic. Do you think is that good enough for <laughs> well here's the thing who's the other who's around you i mean like who it's it's dr bill hamill who was the president of the free church used to say this before he would come to before he'd speak at a church he would come to that town and the day before he would go and sit in the local mcdonald's and he would say who are the people coming in and out of mm. this mcdonald's mm. and like some places like my wife's hometown of uh Cullum, north dakota German-Swedish community, you know, not a lot of people of color, though it's actually growing, um, but they're called to reach the people in their context. Right. You know, and it's actually helpful for people in understanding ministering today. How did the context that you are in actually come to be? Mm. You know, so for example, uh, we've had this conversation because we teach on it. I've taught Sunday schools. We, we preach on it. We're very intentional about this. We, our staff went through a seven-week devotion wow. on this in our staff devotions. But you have to understand, even Crystal, when it started as a church, there were, there were housing covenants. There were real estate covenants that told people not to sell to wow. Jews and Mongoloids and Asians and Negroids. And if you did, we're taking your title. Mm-hmm. And those those lasted. So that's why those areas were fairly homogenous. And then as people began to move out and out, as the cities began to diverse. Today in Minneapolis, though, uh, whereas the north part of Minneapolis used to be a place where Jewish people, black people would land before they would move out. Mm-hmm. Today, people can move to the Twin Cities and they can pick wherever they want to, to live at. Right. But also in rural areas, Carolyn, um, me and uh, our Latino pastor, Pablo Cachon, we were recently in Summit, Iowa, small little town in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. by Storm Lake, and we were doing a, a life groups facilitator training for their church. Okay. 
And their community went through a massive demographic sh- uh, shift in this little small town huh. that has a large Hispanic population. In Iowa. Wow. In Iowa. <laughs> you, know, you go to southern Minnesota to Austin, Minnesota, and uh, there's a neat brother who pastors down there. That community is ridiculously diverse hmm. with uh, different backgrounds of African and Asian and Hispanic in this hmm. town of Austin, Minnesota. So diversity is coming to a door. You don't recognize color. It's just how do you place a value on color? Right. You know? Right. And and I think for people who are um, more sensitive or, you know, actually the only thing, this is why we need to get to our small groups point, but the, the reason um, small groups in this um topic is so critical is because we know that proximity is what breaks down barriers. Proximity and actual relationships with real people is what actually uh, breaks down the walls about stereotypes and assumptions. And, you know, we hear all the time, well, you're not what I expected of filling the blank, whatever that blank may be. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's also true for people of color, maybe towards whites. So it's it's not just something that people of color own. It's really just how we treat people in general. Um, we, we tend to have these assumptions based on experience and just our culture. And so being able to be in a small group together where you actually get to know one another and go, yeah, yeah. this person is not what I've been taught to think or believe. And, yeah. and so the more sensitive people, I think, realize and have said to me, yeah, I I, you know, I get that colorblind or terms like that are offensive to you. Can you tell me why? And I'm more than happy to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when people say it with a sense of pride or nobility, or they think this makes them, you know, all cool. Or I've had people say, you know, I like Chinese food. Like, okay, one, I'm not even Chinese, but seriously, like liking Asian food is somehow connected to now you know me because you like food. Yeah. Like, there's some weird dynamics. I would I wouldn't say that about um, someone who's of a different culture. And so there's just an awareness, I think, sensitivity. And you're absolutely right, David. It's not just about some um, liberal agenda or just some sociological kind of what's cool in our culture. It's really about honoring. I love how you put that: the image bearers of Christ, um, and how we reflect that more fully together. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, Carolyn, uh, God has actually given us a picture mm-hmm. of what his church looks like. And it and and so Revelation 7, 9 says this is what it looks like. Revelation 5, 9 says people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. Notice what's not used in that. The word race is not used. True. First of all, race is not a biblical construct. The Bible does not use the word race the way that we use it. Race is a social construct that was created to justify the enslavement of people for the economic benefit of a country to compete against Britain after we sought uh, freedom from mm-hmm. slavish British rule. There's only three words really that, th- that are used for race in the Bible. The first one is stadia, from which we get the word stadium. It's 192 meters, and, and that's a noun. The next word is traco, which means to run. Both of those are found in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 23, and 24. For I run the race set before me. The runners run a race. So, so that's what it is. The last word is agon, which is found in Hebrews 12, 30, 12, 3. When it says to run the race track or to run the race course before. That's how the Bible uses the mm-hmm. word race. So even when people say, well, I want to have a biblical conversation with you about race. Well, first of all, you're not being biblical. <laughs> yeah so a better better word would be ethnicity perhaps yes from which we get ethnos 
mm-hmm. um, layoffs, which means people. And so we are driven and we are led and we love God's work. And so even having this conversation, one of the chief things is God's glory, but also Second uh, Timothy. All scripture is God's mm-hmm. breathed and useful for teaching, correction, that the man of God might be rightly equipped for every good work. So that's where we lead from on this. And this is God's very heart. So in Revelation 5, 9, he says, and I atone them by your blood. It's not a sociological issue. This is a, it's a blood issue. Right. It's what Christ died for. And this is the, the goal and at the end of everything. When there's a new heaven, new earth one day, yeah. it's every, every well, tongue, every tribe. We're called Christians, Carolyn. So Acts 11, 19, it said, as, as they're dispersed, it said, some people only went and talked to the Jews. That's what the text says there. And then verse 20 goes on to say this. Uh, it makes a point and it says, but, contrast word, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, areas of Africa in the, middle, in the in Mediterranean, who coming to Antioch spoke with the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was upon them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas, and they sent Paul, who was a Jew. And then it says this, And when they found him, they brought him to Antioch, Paul. For a whole year they met with the church, proximity, and taught a great many people. And it's in Antioch, the disciples are first called Christian. Mm. As they lived out the gospel of this proximity, and really, to get really pointed on something, oftentimes even on the conversation of multi-ethnic worship, people will point to Revelation 5, 9, and Revelation 7, 9, and talk about the ethnicity. That's not the ultimate point. The point of it is verse 10, that this great crowd of witnesses turns around and says, salvation belongs to the Lamb and the one who sits on the throne. It's about worship. Right. And it's us saying that only you, Jesus, only you, God, could filter your great gospel through all of these people to save all of them and right. to make them into one creation and make them into the family of God. Amen. <laughs> all right. So, David, let's let's switch gears here and let's talk about how at New Hope you've been able to um, or your team has been able to um, leverage small groups ministry in, um, to help further this cause of your greater vision for the church of being multi-ethnic and being for all peoples. What's small groups peace in that? Small groups peace is that, you know, first our desire, one, it's part of our strategic initiative uh, that matches into our purpose statement. So it's very intentional. Uh, Yeah, it's really intentional. So even when people ask me, why are we doing this? And I'm like, "Let's, (laughs) let's, let's put it this way. I had a conversation with our elders the other day because part of this journey has had people leave. Mm. leaving over sociological and even not biblically based reasons and 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 saying to them look this conversation of race and all peoples is going to be the elephant in the room and it's going to continue to be the elephant in the room until one of two things happen either christ returns or you change your mission statement Mm. and it's not that this is a divisive issue that you bring up this is already being spoken about I don't have to say a thing. You can pull up a news. Right. Oh, and, yes. It's all over. Right. Find it. The question is, the world is wondering who can speak into this. Mm. And actually, the Church of Jesus Christ was made for this. Jesus prayed for it. So, 
So we are, we're attempting as a 70 some odd year church to move from being a church with life groups to being a church of life groups. And believing that small groups and our, what we call life groups uh, are the vehicle of transformation of the gospel. And so our focus is helping people to practice our three C's, celebrating Jesus, connecting with people, contributing to our, to our world to, to see other people come to Christ. And it's in this context of proximity that people get to know each other. Right. And they're able to put away the fallacy stories of what they thought that they knew mm-hmm. about a person. So to be blunt, it's really hard for me to think that all Mexicans are racist, you know, are rapists and drug dealers. When my Latino pastor, Pablo, and his <laughs> wife are two of the most godly people that I've ever met. Sure. Okay. And that down the hallway from us, we have a Spanish-speaking um congregation and that they're our church family they're not like mm-hmm. how we rent to this group no this is our church family and this is where language is done so we're seeking to put and allow people to be in groups to learn each other's story um, and to come together because the bible says that they overcame the devil by the word of the testimony and the blood of the lamb and they love not their lives unto death and because of christ people as they share their testimonies overcome and so uh, we use life groups really to help connect. Um, my personal life group, uh, we have um, African-American and Liberian uh, that are part of our life group. And then we have someone who is serving as a missionary in China. Hmm. Uh, and that's people who make up my current life group. And it, it flavors and textures the story sure. of the beauty of the gospel as we share. Are most of the life groups then, are they multi-ethnic or do you engineer for that? Meaning, um, do you intentionally place people of different ethnicities into a group or does it happen more organically? Um, we, we share that this is our culture. It happens uh, organically. Um, our church, even it used to be very predominantly white and now we're 15 percent uh, it's actually we don't have we haven't done a full demographic breakdown on ours uh which we're, we're looking to do um but this is part of our culture so as we did a connection night recently we had groups that formed that one had a, a liberian leader and that was made up of a diverse group of people that included russian and um other african groups and asian that was a part of that uh but a number of our groups probably have a number of Anglos that are in it just due to the size of our church being a couple thousand people and still being, you know, 80, 85% Anglo. Do you find um, that, um, let me think about this. So it's interesting in the small group context because like we do ours by area where people live, which mm-hmm. then um, the downside of that is it tends to be more homogenous because of the socioeconomics of, um, especially in California, of housing prices <laughs> and where people are located. Yeah. So you almost have to be a little more um, intentional and engineering about having having a mix. But we found like our specialty groups, say single moms, people in different um stages of life, retirees, whatever, that they tend to be a little more diverse because um, that kind of goes across right. you know, our, our special needs um, parent group, like that, that cuts across, yeah. um, you know, areas. Whereas if we just do them just specifically by neighborhood, it tends to, to um, go, does not help us in this cause. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's one thing that's helped us even in the Twin Cities is that the Twin Cities is a very diverse area. 
And when I was here pastoring in 2007 and looked at a thing, there was, there was basically um, 41 suburbs who had re reported uh, the, demo the, the demographic change. And basically uh, 30 of them had had double-digit changes in their non-white population. And it was in some of our, you know, prosperous communities as well. Um, there was another six that had single digits, and then there was five that didn't. And this is back in 2007. Right. The Twin Cities has only continued to get diverse right. ethnically right. and a number of different things internationally and urban as well. So, um, you know, we don't, uh, we help people find groups as we've done our connection night as people are moving, mm -hmm. but there are existing groups that have formed through other connection nights and mm -hmm. the one that we have. And we've laid it out by day of the week. Sure, um, sure. Other, right, convenience, right. Yeah, and so people come. We have people who come intentionally looking for uh, diverse groups mm -hmm. um, and, and saying, I want to be in a group that God is growing me uh, in this way. And then we have groups that are all Anglo as well. Yeah, and did you get any pushback, David, when, um, when, it, which is specifically with life group leaders or kind of with that team, um, when the church moved into this vision a few years ago of being all peoples? Um, and your church is led by a Caucasian um, pastor, right? Is he? Yes. Okay, so which is even yeah. more radical because typically multi ethnic churches seem to have uh, people of color that are at the helm and the lead yeah. role. Um, so that's, yeah. I mean, that's really cool. But have you seen any resistance um, or challenges with life group um, uh, leaders specifically that were kind of like, no thanks? Are, are you talking about? Are you talking about resistance like back then, or you mean like right like now? now. Yeah, yeah, now it's both. Yeah, so we've had resistance. I mean, like. You know, it, it was uh, one of the things that was really interesting is that I had a uh, I had a life group leader pair leave our church, um, and I've had more more than one. But but it was interesting when you'd walk down the hallway, there was a mural of our church of the founding of the church and crystal, and mm -hmm. it was forty feet long and floor to ceiling. Wow! Of the first, not a single person of color in this picture. And the church is overwhelming, right? Our staff is diverse. Our senior staff, mm -hmm. uh, probably a third of them are people of color that are Asian, African-American, uh, and the like. And then our staff is also diverse, but still predominantly white. Our elder board is very is very diverse, and we have Middle, Middle Eastern, uh, Asian, um, African-American, mm -hmm. um, and Hispanic that are part of that. But I had a couple who, who, who left the church, and they didn't sit down and talk to the Latino guy who was the former life group pastor who launched life groups, or myself, but they went to someone else and said, well, we're leaving because we feel that white people have become second-class citizens. Ooh. Ooh. That's and it was hard. Like, it was like, huh. Like, uh, okay. I mean, like, you, you have to understand culture, too. And our culture is overwhelmingly anglicized. Mm -hmm. And so so for people to kind of, but wanting to hear people's stories. So yeah, we've, there, there's, we, we get kicked back. We get, we've gotten kicked back because we've sought to shepherd our people through God's word. We do sermon-based small groups. Mm -hmm. Right now we're going through the Sermon on the Mount mm -hmm. and wanting to grow in what Jesus said. And that it's really radical. The last year we we did uh, Ephesians purposely mm. to help people understand the theology of being an all people's church. Right. 
and, and having people get into groups to have this conversation. And we write our own lessons with our creative uh, arts team and our preaching team. We write our own lessons, and so we, we were tailoring it to the context that we were in to speak to these issues. Right. And and I don't think we can underestimate the fact that um, you're on the executive uh, level as well as other people of color. I think unless you have somebody um, that kind of you know, reflects the diversity there, it's harder to have that stir up in the congregation, don't you think? Like, we've noticed that there's more, um, we, you know, we have an um, African-American guy who does most of our announcements, um, and mm-hmm. he's, he's wonderful. And um, just without him ever talking about ethnicity or anything related, just the very fact that he's visible, um, the fact that I'm visible, um, yeah. just helps. And so someone recently said to me, have you noticed that our church has a lot more people of color and I said I think we're shifting some yes and then they said so how did we did we do that like by design or and I said I think it's just people look on the platform and go okay they there's some people that look like me that maybe I'm, I'm welcome here um, and to have senior members like yourself David and others speak into that gives it um more weight and also it's kind of putting your money where your mouth is right because you're hiring staff yes yeah, I mean, like, if you're not intentional about this, we're not, you know, you don't just assume the gospel. We're intentional about the gospel. Yes. And if, and for a person right now who's listening to this as a small group and life groups person, we're not just assuming groups. You know, we're True. intentional about that. True. And so when this is the heartbeat of God, uh, to reconcile people first to himself, but also to reconcile people to one another, um, that's a really powerful thing. And again, uh Carolyn, I heard a white pastor from Northwest um, Iraq at a church. I'm speaking at a conference, small mm-hmm. church, and he said, we have a church in Northwest Iraq. We, we say we're here. We're like, if we're going to be killed, we're going to be killed, but we're going to be honest wow. about one And he said one day he had a situation happen, and at the end of the service, a Muslim man walked up to him and, and said, Pastor Mack, he goes, yeah, he goes, there's four things that I saw here today, and, and I just, I don't, I, don't know what to, I don't know what to do with this. And he said, what was that? He says, first of all, um, he goes, I noticed that the men and women, uh, no, he goes, first, I noticed the diversity of the people. Hmm. Here in Iraq, and you have, you have uh, Iraqi people, Jewish people, various African, Asian, American. Mm-hmm. And all of these people are worshiping together. He said, number two, I noticed that the men and women worship together. Yeah, which is unusual, yeah. right? Yep, because he said we're separate. He said, right. number three, I noticed that the families worship together, that the children are here. Mm. And then he said, number four, he goes, the incredible love that you guys have for each other. Mm. And then this Muslim man looked at this pastor and he said, I, I don't know what to do with this. He goes, there's 99 names for Allah and love's not one of them. But he goes witnessing this Mm. and there's a sweet fragrance and aroma because when you are when you're able to see how god has saved people through these various contexts it affects you Mm -hmm. you know have you noticed um you know, we've talked about challenges, but there's huge blessings, as you just said, the sweet oh, aroma of yeah. of unity and of love. So can you share some stories of um, your life groups that, because because of their diversity, that has actually changed um, how they relate to Jesus and how they relate to one another? 
Mm. Um, I was talking with my assistant the other day, and uh, she was sharing how when they had did a um, small group lesson, and it was even on Crazy Love, it was on mm-hmm. Crazy Love, and they were having this conversation, and she said, in, in my life group, this changed my life, that today um, we have a African-American son that we adopted mm-hmm. who is older. And our church has a number of people who have, who have adopted right. um, uh, transracial, interracially. Sure. Um, and so living, living that out, but also being able to, for example, Pastor Matthew, his assistant, and it's fun to tell people this because she's an incredible godly woman and leader. And you say to people, do you think she came through the front door? It's like, actually, no. Mm-hmm. She came because... A coworker invited her as an African American to their diverse life group, mm. and she grew. And that's her way that she found her way in the church. And now is the is the executive assistant to our senior pastor. That's cool. One of our other pastors, our executive pastor, just returned. Um, not only in their life group of seeing kids come to faith in Christ, but they also returned because they had adopted an African American mm. child. It happens the ways that people engage their communities in their right. schools, how they engage their neighbors, how they live out the gospel. And even as people have these, these, these conversations, like for us, my assistant's neighbor, having a diverse group of people who show up at the neighbor's house from the garage door collapse on an older woman mm. and they're serving this woman and loving her. When you have a diverse small group that goes down to the local police station and we serve them meals, and we're able to talk about what all people's means and what Jesus has done to reconcile to people who are seeing the conflict every single day. Sure, sure. And we'll be sitting down and praying with. So there's there's numerous ways that you get to witness to this, that you get to see the transformative power of this in people's lives. It's so true, and I think it stands out in in stark contrast as our world becomes increasingly polarized and divided. That. Then the churches like yours and and groups like that um, reflect the gospel in such a brilliant way that we wouldn't be able to otherwise just by telling people, you know, the gospel. So, all right, so let's get... Carolyn, real quick. Mm -hmm. One of the other powerful things that happens in being an all-people's church is this. It's one of the best seed grounds for sanctification. Yep. Because think about it. How else can you practice the one? I mean, like when you have a diverse group of people around you, you're going to practice the one another. Right. right. And when you come up to a situation and you're like, you know what? I don't like that. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, what don't I like? And then you're able to put your preferences in light of the gospel. Right. And say, okay, God, how do you need to transform me as it relates to this? You know, versus that it's, it's instead of it being all around me. Dr. David Anderson said, I think in his book, Racism, he said that any given service or even church, there should be about 25% of it that just doesn't fit for you. Hmm. But you also know that it's fitting for somewhere else. So when I was in Ohio, you know, we would occasionally, we'd play bluegrass music. I'm eclectic. But do I listen <laughs> to bluegrass a lot? No. But when I heard bluegrass, I knew in that area of the country with people who came from Appalachia, mm-hmm. Ohio, and Kentucky, that when they were sitting there, Something sparked in their right. heart. Yeah. And I already have Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we're wanting to bring others along on this journey to Jesus 
and being disciple-making leaders who and plant more churches and to sure. glorify. So, you're right. That's a great point. That it really does is is part. Whenever we stretch beyond our comfort um, and put aside our preferences, and we we don't even realize we have them until actually they kind of hit us upside the head when mm-hmm. uh, when we are in a more of a, a mixed group. So I think that yes, it actually is good for um, for us beyond just the biblical uh, mandate, which is the primary reason. You asked an earlier question of how has life groups and being an all-people's mm-hmm. church changed. Um, one of the things that's changed for us is even our communications. Mm. So we, we, we intentionally communicate. Uh, we have both uh, Espanol spoken mm-hmm. as well as English. And so like for our sermon-based small groups, um, we actually rearranged our our silly putty preaching team meetings and how we form our questions. Did you just call it silly putty? Yeah, we call it silly putty. <laughs> okay. So the person comes in and they, they share what the text is and we unpack it and then we discuss and ask questions and then in that we form questions with it. And uh, so we actually send those off to a person and have them professionally translated. Oh, wow. To be accessible. Yeah, and, and it's, it, the conversation came in this way because I was having a conversation with one of our leaders, and they're like, you know what, you know, we could just have someone do it. I said, yeah, we could, but there's different right. ways that Spanish is expressed. Right. And the person wasn't kind of fully getting it. And I finally said to the person, I said, imagine if you were to get a really great resume of someone on your team that you're looking to hire. And they have really great credentials. But as you're reading through that, you see all these typos and yeah, yeah. and that. And I said, what's going to happen? He goes, I'll probably set it to the side. Sure. And I said, so then what does it mean to honor other image bearers of Latino mm-hmm. descent by doing translation well? Mm-hmm. So that is, we're helping people grow in life groups. But even the way that we're doing our questions, and same thing, we, we started writing articles in Spanish mm-hmm. in our former Heartbeat article thing because... They're Spanish-speaking people, and we wanted to honor them as other image bearers. Yeah, that really speaks value. Um, we just did our fall curriculum, and we translated in both Spanish and Chinese because we have mm-hmm. both of those congregations within us. Um, yeah. And it was just kind of fun. Our videos are dubbed. <laughs> Not dubbed. I guess they're subtitled, which makes it kind of fun. So um, we only have a few more minutes, David, and I did want to get to this. Um, I know uh, we had talked about if a church wants to move in this direction and groups, you want to help move your group life in this direction, recognizing that most people people listening don't have, are not senior pastors and don't have that, that call on their life. Um, so other than knowing what the Word of God teaches, which you articulated so well, um, and understanding the culture of the context and the community you serve in, and understanding the history um, of what's going on and being really clear on the purpose and vision, um, could you talk a little bit about, you know, how, do, how um, us as leaders and small group point people need to be willing to have difficult conversation about ethnicity and race and inclusion and that kind of thing. Like, I think people, especially um, my Caucasian friends, tend to be even more reluctant because they don't want to offend and they want to be sensitive, but they're not sure if they're going to put their foot in their mouth. Or um, So they, they kind of default to maybe not saying much. Um, how would you equip our point people to have the difficult conversation with people in their congregation that are of color or, or not, or people, um, they're, they're small group leaders that may yeah. have issues within their group because of the diversity. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, starting with a, 
at the place of humility. Mm-hmm. It's a really good point, and actually listening, um, asking questions. Yes, like Jesus did. Yes. <laughs> yes, like Jesus did everything, but asking questions and being attentive. It's okay to say, you know what? I may or may not have this right. I could be, be completely off. Forgive me for this, but I'm curious about this. Could you help me understand? That's a great approach. You know, because we don't t- we don't tend to slam people when they, when they're really intentionally trying to to do this any more than when a baby is trying to learn how to walk. Mm-hmm. It gets up, it falls down, and the parents don't go, "Oh my goodness, she fell down! What a bad baby!" <laughs> you encourage them, right. and on that point, it's going to be learning. Sure. You have to learn, and most evangelical churches are missional, meaning they have mm-hmm. strong global missions, are global missions focused. And we would never send a team across seas without what? Understanding the culture and the context. Sure. So you do the same thing here. And and talk to people, ask people. I encourage people to read um, the book Divided by Faith by Michael Emerson mm-hmm. and Christian Smith, both two Christian sociologists who are very accomplished sociologists. Mm-hmm. They wrote a book on that, which you started opening up about how 11 o'clock is still the most segregated hour. And they began to look at our culture, but also what Scripture says. And what's beautiful about this book is that it delves into um, actually what people said in their interviews that they did. Mm. And so it really gives a picture, because you have to understand, Peter Drucker said that uh, culture trumps strategy. Right. Culture will, will eat strategy for lunch. Right. And I don't mean to sound trite on this, but you need to pray. Mm. I mean, people have to pray. It's not for any reason that the book of Ephesians, Ephesus was a was an incredibly diverse church. Paul writes to it about Jews and Gentiles being brought together. And it's the, it's the one book in the Bible that speaks most explicitly about spiritual warfare. Mm. So um, Mark DeMoss says that when you embark on this journey, it's literally like giving the devil the finger and saying, bring it on, because it's been such a large source of, of uh, conflict in our world and division sure. and publishers as well. Um, just having the conversation is a big step. Yeah. Be, be willing to have the conversation. Engage your leaders on it. God is changing the world around us. So how are we going to be the men and women of Issachar who knew the time mm-hmm. and knew what the church should be? Yes, and to boldly step into into that, I, I that's that's so wise, David. Um, you know, I think the humility and the asking will open a lot of doors. And my goodness, you know, if churches really moved in this way. Um, it, it would just be so transformative for our whole country. <laughs> Instead of becoming, adding to the divide, it would be reconciling and healing people, um, yeah. not just with God, but also with one another. And it would just stand out. Right. It would actually stand out. And this, and, and someone said that the race thing, instead of destroying the church, actually might heal the church. I agree. You know, and having the conversation, because for me, Inevitably, whenever I tell someone that I grew up in North Dakota, it's not me bringing up the topic of race. Mm -hmm. People will ask me. And when I'm able to say to them, yeah, I experienced racism. Sure. And yeah, the things that I've gone through, I should actually hate white people. Mm. But there really is. And I remember saying to, uh, to an atheist guy, I said, the practicality of this is, I said, I'm a former NCAA double, uh, 
NCAA All-American in track and field. And I said, the reason you're going to, you are going to walk away from this large mass of a human being <laughs> is because there really was a first century Jew that you don't believe in mm. that came into my life and transformed me. Mm. And not only do I tolerate, but I love people, all people. And my wife's 100% German. So it's not like I'm just putting up with that. <laughs> you know? But it's right. an opportunity. And I've had atheists look at me and they're like, wow. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and the world is very hungry for this. So even yes. us, us engaging conversations on race, because mm. everyone else is afraid to do it. But who else can speak to the Amajo Day? Of yes. And even if your context doesn't have people of color, guess what? The kids that you're raising in that context, mm -hmm. they're going to leave because my Christianity and culture class and even my prison letters class that will be coming up, I have a number of kids who grew up in rural areas where there were no people of color. And those are going to be the leaders of tomorrow. Right. You know, they represent Christ to the world. And we have the opportunity to do that as small group leaders in community with one another. Yes, that's very true. Thank you so much, David. I know we could probably talk about this for several more hours, but we're out of time. Yeah. But thank you so much. God bless you and New Hope and the work you guys are doing. I'm so glad you're part of the network. If you want to connect with David, you're you're in the huddle with, um, who else is out there in Minneapolis? Mark Kendall. Yes, Mark Kendall, my bud. So yeah. Yeah, so they have a thriving huddle out there. I know we've done conferences for the network out there, and I've seen you on uh, Facebook interactive group every so often so if you want to ask David more questions you can interact with him there or with others um, I love actually the diversity of that Facebook group has been fantastic not just yeah. in terms of, of ethnicities but um, age different ages different parts of the world um, and just different types of churches I mean I think that kind of models in our corner of ministry world um, something that's really beautiful and it's such a benefit to one another so thank you David um, thank you Karen. And thank you all for listening to Group Talk, and we will see you next time. Thank you so much to Carolyn and David for that much-needed conversation. Now, before we go, let's talk about the Lobby Gathering. The Lobby Gathering is coming to SoCal February 25th through the 27th. The Lobby is not an answer-driven conference, but an out-of-the-box small group event where we create environments for small group point people to connect and engage together in casual conversations about small group ministry much like they would in a church lobby over a cup of coffee. Now, whether you're a beginner or a veteran small group point person, you will have an equal voice in each circle of conversation. You will also get to connect with and learn from some of the brightest and most innovative small group point people from around the world. Space is limited to the first 100 attendees. Make sure you lock in your space today. For more information or to register, visit smallgroupnetwork.com slash events. Again, that's smallgroupnetwork.com slash events. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you later this month. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you enjoy this program, Please take a few minutes to give us a positive rating on iTunes so that other small group point people can find us more easily. We encourage you to visit our website at smallgroupnetwork.com to access our library of free resources, connect to a huddle with other small group ministry leaders in your area, read our blog articles, or join us on our Facebook group. Don't forget to use the hashtag SGNet when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.